fam. Um, lot, a lot of texts we're going through today. Uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to um, walk us through it. We're going to pray together. Great job, first and foremost, to uh, our praise and worship, which is awesome. And uh, thank you, Sarah, for leading us. Come give them some love just to praise God for those guys. So much fun. And I think for me, I went in the back. One of my first times going in the back and watching the crew and seeing all you guys doing the motions and stuff. That's what's up, man. See, it's so cool. So I'm super encouraged in God's grace. So let's pray together, guys. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, that we can have our, our families here and our, even our kids up here today. Thank you that we can open up your word and, and just uh, continue to feast on your goodness. Continue to brag about you, Lord, as we sing out. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide this time, Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you would just uh, be gracious to use me, Lord. Um, we all come together and we are in agreement that um, no one in here wants to hear uh, the words of man. Uh, we want to hear the oracles of Christ. And so we pray that you would speak to us and through us, Lord. And uh, you would speak through me and lead me, Jesus, uh, supernaturally, so that your truth could be preached. Uh, pray that we can enjoy your goodness and be responsible and not just be super, just, just hearers of the word, but doers, Lord. So we pray for that, Lord. Pray that there will be a holy moment uh, here um, as your uh, truth is proclaimed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Go ahead and have a seat. Open up your Bibles to Acts. As we are in chapter 20. Moving right along. Praise the Lord, guys. Uh, pastor has Bibles. You can raise your hand if you need them. As a community, uh, we want you to be in the Word, diving in the Word. If you need a Bible for your house, let us know. We'd love to give you one. Again, we want you to just be circling certain things and just writing in your Word and just seeing what God has to say and moving in the light of that. Okay, guys? Uh, that's our heart behind that. As a local community, we're going through books of the Bible. Uh, we'll be in Acts for a few more months. Um, so hopefully you're being encouraged and just getting a snapshot of what God is doing in his world and what, what's going on as he started this, this, uh, this new people of God, um, all culminating and focusing on Christ and who he is. Um, if you have questions, let, let me know. Uh, you can raise your hand and we'll try and put, you know, hit those questions. If it's something specific, let me know at the end. I can dialogue with you. So I uh, just feel that freedom, guys. But be, be encouraged uh, by Jesus right now. And I pray uh, that the, the gospel we preach, I mean, that's our heart. We stand up here and we want God to be exalted. We want you uh, to be inspired um, by your Savior if you're a Christian. And if you're not a believer, we want you to be reborn. We want you to uh, be born again. Uh, the Bible talks about that we're dead in Christ without, we're dead to life and that only in Jesus are we revived. And so we pray for that to be uh, the story of everyone in this room. Um, we are in chapter 20. A lot has gone on. Uh, not going to go through everything. I try and do it here and there. Uh, you, 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 for, for your enjoyment, I mean, you guys can pop up some of the, uh, the screens of, our, of, of Paul's journey and our journey and things of that sort. At the end of the day, here's what's up. You have Jesus Christ, um, who has lived a perfect life. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He lives, he grabs these guys, he shows and validates him being actually the Lord of all creation, the only one who can pay for sin, uh, the only one who can offer forgiveness uh, of sin, the only one who can actually restore us into the original intent that the Father had for us. And uh, then he, what he does is he uh, dies on the cross, and he kind of blows everybody's mind, because you're thinking, this great king, well, why, if he's a great king, if he's 
he's the ruler, if he's the creator of everything, then why is he dead? And then he rises from the dead uh, to validate that actually that's the way actually he was able to to conquer Satan, death, evil, and sin uh, was for being a perfect sacrifice uh, for you and me uh, and this whole world and even all of creation. And then uh, the, the disciples get excited because they see him rise from the dead. He commissions these guys on what he wants them to be about. He says, I want you now, as you're seeing this, you're a witness of this, I want you now to make your life. Understand now you understand what the purpose of your life is. You didn't know, maybe you didn't know before, now you understand. You were created for worship. Uh, I'm the one you to worship, and the way you worship me is by making me known to the world, by enjoying me and being obedient to me. And so that's the, that's the call of every person who's reborn in Christ, that your, your main focus in life is to make Christ known. Is to enjoy Christ and make him known. And he says, so I want you to go do that. But I'm not going to just ask you to do that. I'm actually going to fill you with the spirit. I'm going to give you the very power, uh, the very person that rose me from the dead. I'm going to give him to you. And so then he gives every person, every believer who says uh, yes to Christ. And I would even say the way you say yes to Christ is he gives you the Holy Spirit. You're able to say yes, be empowered, and be about his mission. He does that to these guys. They begin just to tear up the world in the sense that they're going out, proclaiming the gospel. People getting saved. Save. Miracles are happening to validate Jesus' authority in their life. Uh, persecution happens because Satan doesn't know what to do when the people of God are actually being about God's business, right? So he begins to persecute the church. The church still grows. Uh, then we begin to see some individual, we, we have some snapshots happen within the book of Acts where you have Saul who's a Pharisee, super wise dude, understands uh, the Old Testament. He wants to do a good work for God. He's killing Christians. God is gracious to save him. He becomes a Christian. He is Paul. He then begins to preach the gospel uh, to the world that they knew and even the areas that they have never been in before. And so he goes out and he's preaching to the Jews and the Gentiles. And then we begin to see in the last many chapters that we've been going through uh, the missionary journeys of Paul, his first missionary journey, which means that he went out to be on mission. He went out to tell about Jesus and to see people become worshipers in these different lands. We see the second missionary journey. And then we have our third missionary journey, which is where we are uh, today. And then that's all of them all gathered together just to show you uh, the mileage that Paul put in. And even last week we talked about one journey being 1400 miles, another journey being 2,800 miles, another journey being 2,400 miles. So you got this man who has, you know, no Jeep. He's traveling around thousands of miles to proclaim the gospel. He's, his whole life has changed and he has many people on his journey with him doing this. So that's what's been going on uh, throughout our time. And right now uh, he's at a very interesting juncture in, 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 uh, in Acts chapter 20. And uh, I want to just ask you a question and have this just mulling over in your mind. Because as I looked at this, uh, this text here and was praying about it, I just kept asking myself, like, man, it seems like Paul is asking me, like, what is the aim of your life? Right? Like, what's the aim of your life as individuals? You sit here right now and you're at church. Uh, what is the focus of your life? What really is the aim? Why? What are you doing? Like, why are you doing it? You know, what are you about? Like, are you, are you about just your job, right? Are you about just your family? Is your family your, your, your object of worship? Do you say, I'm, I'm about Jesus, but basically your life doesn't reflect uh, this, kind of be, this kind of beeline, this kind of attitude of, man, if, if my life's about Jesus, it should be super clear by the way I do my life, right? 
There should be no mistake. I never forget um, when I was in college and I was with a young uh, brother of mine. And, uh, you know, we were at a crusade function, which is a Christian organization. And uh, some dudes came up to us and, and was like talking to my boy and was like, hey, uh, you know, what's up, Chris, man? And then he said to him, and I felt he said, I didn't know you was a Christian. And I thought to myself, man, my prayer in my life is no one would ever see me somewhere and go, in a Christian function and go, man, I didn't know you was a believer. <laughs> because I wanted to be painfully clear that when you're talking with me and hanging out, that you have to wrestle, especially if you're an unbeliever, you have to wrestle with your security being in the world. Because I want my, by, by God's grace, my prayer is that each one of us, our security will be so founded in Christ that we don't ever have to question, like, where my allegiance lies, where my focus lies, where my hope lies, where my trust lies. I remember that moment. I thought, man, Lord, would you give me the grace to allow my life where people aren't going, man, I didn't know you was a believer. It's cool to see you here. The book of Acts in general is a fast-moving account, right? It's spreading the gospel through the Roman Empire. We're seeing that. And we're, and we're basically, what we've been doing for almost about a year now, we've been going through about 30 years or so of, of things that are happening in Christ after Christ's resurrection. So that's a lot of information, right? It's an awesome book. Uh, we've been super encouraged. Uh, what happens in this story in particular, it seems that Luke wants to stop. He stops and does something so bizarre. He, every once in a while, he does it like two or three times in Acts. He pauses, and then he begins to just let you get a kind of insight in on a sermon, right? And so that's what's happening in these, in these verses here. Basically, uh, verses 17 through 35 is us being kind of the fly on the wall of a sermon. And then what I'm going to do is read through uh, the first uh, 16, give us a quick snapshot, and then we're going to hit a few more verses. We won't be able to go through the whole uh, chapter, I'm going to kind of pause this actually in the middle of the sermon for the sake of time. So we might get to probably verse 24. And then next week, we'll go ahead and finish verses 25 uh, to 35 or so. Okay, that's that's kind of the game plan. We'll see what the Lord does. Okay. So here's what happens. It says, um, this Paul, this beautiful man who's been preaching the gospel, uh, he's been getting hurt and beat down, but people are coming to Christ and seeing great things happen. He's, his whole life has changed. It says, uh, after the uproar ceased, verse 1, what uproar? What happened last week? There was a huge uproar, remember? Uh, the gospel was being preached. People got mad. Uh, they grabbed uh, two of Paul's friends, brought them into a big arena that holds about 25,000 people. All the people are w- walking around, rioting, but they ain't got nothing to riot with because they're in the early first century, you know, in the early centuries. And so they just stand around yelling at each other, right? And everything is crazy, right, because of these Christian dudes who are proclaiming the good news of Christ. And what they're doing is they're upsetting people's businesses, right? Because them proclaiming Christ was upsetting the people who were building idols and making a lot of money by building idols. Because if you love Jesus, you don't need any more idols. And so you go out of business, right? And so these guys say, hey, we're losing money. Can't believe this. We need to do something about these guys. He's, first of all, it's hitting the bottom line. But secondly, they're talking about our God, our fake God, the one we make. We believe that it fell out of the sky. We can't believe this. So there's a huge uproar. Well, the scriptures read, after the uproar ceased, it calmed down. Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. Verse 2, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. So he travels through, continually encouraging the saints, continually seeing this beautiful ministry of Paul, being an advocate and and a capacity builder of the people of God. Verse 3, it says, there he spent three months... 
And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return to Mac- through Macedonia. How many times have we seen this? Over and over again, we see Paul in a place, and it says, man, and they're kind of about to set him up, about to do something to him. He had to, he had to leave, right? Um, he decided to go to Macedonia because obviously people were going to do something, probably try to kill him. Can you imagine? This, this is, we've seen this a couple of times, right? Imagine that being a theme of your life. You're going somewhere to teach the good news, and every, every so once in a while, somebody tried to kill you. That's the theme of his life. Right? It says, Sopater, the Berean son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. So it gives you a little insight. He got a crew with him. He's building up leaders. I mean, that's so encouraging. You see these leaders who are now traveling. Think about it. You got a ton of people who are worshiping God probably at this point. People are being built up. The church is growing. And these got to be some, these are some, some studs, right? And some awesome people because they're traveling with Paul. This is like, they've given it all up. They're traveling with this guy. They're doing, they're preaching the gospel, Right. And it says, uh, verse 5, these went ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Verse 7, why am I going through all this? I'm going to fly through verse um, 1 through 16 and give you kind of a snapshot. Here's why. I spent probably two and a half days looking at verses 1 through 16, praying through verses 1 through 16, and saying, what in the world am I going to teach people about verses 1 through 16? Okay? And I tell y'all, I got nothing. (laughs) All right? So I'm going to keep it 100 and say, I was going to make up something, Ken. I thought that ain't a faithful pastor. I was going to do, you know, because you know, we, you know, if you do, get, do the whole passive thing, I can make, I can hook it up. But I want to be faithful to the text. And I'm thinking that the author's heart wasn't for me to exposit verses 1 through 16, but for you to have a framework of what's going on when you get to verses 17 through 35. Someone's going to be faithful, but letting you know, I'm not taking a lot of the word. I just didn't have nothing, y'all, and I tried. All right. So let's keep flowing. Um, Verse 6, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troash, where we stayed for seven days. Verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we, get, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. So he's, he's hanging with the people. These are some of the very few, uh, few moments he's going to have before he's heading off. And eventually he's going to keep preaching the gospel and he's going to get killed. Okay? But this is a snapshot. So this is some of the last times you're going to see these guys. He's preaching at midnight. I really like this story, and I wanted to find some areas where it could really preach, but it wasn't enough. Again, that's why I'm moving forward, but you're going to like this part. This is pretty funny in my mind. Verse 8. Uh, there were many lamps um, in the upper room uh, where we gathered, and a young man uh, named uh, Eutychus, uh, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked. Still longer. Made me feel very good that even Paul, the greatest theologian, uh, had cats falling asleep when he was preaching the gospel. So, and so that means you don't need to feel bad. All I want to tell you is when you find yourself falling asleep on me, put yourself in a real cool, comfy position so you're not jerking or doing something weird to mess up my flow, you know? Because <laughs> I be flowing. Also, I see you do that. You're scaring me. So I, I want you to just be, you know, just be chill. So when you do it, just kind of... All right, just joking. Um, 
I love this though. So, but I love it says he sank into a deep sleep as Paul as Paul talked still longer, and being overcome by sleep. So the brother not just sleep, he just overcame him. He says, "I'm I'm out." He fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So the brother falls out of the window. Oh my goodness! I love that Luke saw it fit to put this in the in the, in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Um, but then Paul's like Paul went down and bent over him. Uh, and taking him in his arms and said, hey, hey, don't, I know I killed him, but don't be alarmed. Uh, he says, for his life is in him. And some authors are wondering if he really wasn't dead and he came down and saw he was alive. Or did Paul, did God graciously say, you know, Paul went down there, saw a dude dead. and was like, Lord, please raise this brother from the dead because I have you jacked up in my journey. I got this huge, cool resume and then I killed somebody. Like, I don't want that. I don't know what, I don't know which one I'm, I'm leaning on. What we do know well, I would propose that it says he was dead. I think the brother was dead. Paul went down. Brother came to life by God's grace. And then I love it says, verse 11, And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And so he still kept teaching, still kept hanging out with them. In verse 12, And he took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Whole point there being, all that teaching, all that time. I love he uses this word. We've seen it many times now, and not a little whole point being, man, like you, you have no clue what this meant to the people of God at that point, being encouraged and, and built up uh, in Christ um, by Paul. Again, this being, again, think about it, the whole journey of Paul. At this point, Paul has written like five, six books of the New Testament. So we forget that. We're thinking this is all happening. And then at the end of his life, he's in some jail cell writing all these books. These books are being written while life is going. Okay, so he's already written books. Of, letters are circulating right now as this is happening. Paul's a G. He's known. People know him. And, and basically, he's coming to encourage the church because he's about to head to Jerusalem, uh, which is eventually going to get him killed. Uh, to Rome. I'm sorry. That's where he'd be like. Going to Jerusalem to head to Rome. And eventually, you know, he dies a martyr death if you understand Paul's history. And so it says, uh, but going ahead uh, to the ship, we set sail uh, for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there for, so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. I know it's a lot of text, stick with me. And when he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene, and sailing from there, we came uh, uh, the following day opposite Chios. Uh, The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. So the whole point is, a lot of traveling, a lot of going around. Verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Here's what's going on. Um, He left, he spent the winter, in these verses, he spent the winter in Corinth, right? He's now on his way to Jerusalem. He's trying to hurry back to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost. It's around 56 or so AD, 56 to 58 AD. He goes up through Macedonia, comes down through Greece, spends the winter month in Corinth, which is probably verses 3 of chapter 20. Um, He heads through Macedonia. He goes up, uh, crosses over uh, uh, Troas, preaches all night, dude dies, um, Dude is raised from the dead. He sails south from Ephesus, uh, gets in a boat, gets to Jerusalem in verse 16. He hurries up, and all of a sudden, he's in his boat in Miletus, some 20 miles south of Ephesus. And what he does, he sends elder, he sends for the elders of the church to come to him, okay? Because he's about to head out. But before that, he says, I want to talk to the elders of the church. And so hence, here's where we get into now the sermon. 
Think about that. And so now and in verse 18 through 35, he gives them his, his last words and tells them, basically, I'm never going to see you again. So that's the, that's the stage we're setting right now. Okay, he's done all this traveling. He's been with these guys. He's trained these guys up. He's about to head out, and he says, you know what? Before I leave, hey, do me a favor. I know we, just, we sailed around there. Go, go, go tell the elders. I know it's 20 miles. Tell them I need to see them. I need to see them one last time because I might not see them again. I might, I might die, but I want to make sure they hear this from me. And hence we get verses 17 and 18 to 35, which is a sermon. Okay. So here's what happened. Why is this important? Why is this sermon so important in Luke's mind? Um, I just think it's so important because he's saying, this is the last thing I can say, I think it shows the importance of elders in the local church and how he saw it fit. Like, man, I want, I want this church to thrive and I want people to thrive in it. And so the way I can do that, I want them to understand this, what's happened in my life. I want them to understand what I'm trying to do. And hopefully that will inspire them to do the same. And so when I look at these texts here, I want to challenge all of us to say, man, that was Paul's aim. What's my aim? Paul had, he, he wanted to say those things to the elders. Why did he want to say those things to the elders? Is he just sharing his life or was he trying to say something that we see Jesus do all the time? When Jesus talked about his journey or the journey he had before him, it was not just to say, oh, that's a cool story, Jesus. It was always to say, just as I am doing these things, I want you to do these things. And that's why Jesus even says when he talks about being his disciples. He talks about what I taught you and what I've shown you. Right? So I want to propose as we read these texts here, just just realize I think Paul is trying to talk about a model here. He's reminding them of his model in verses 18 through 21, just to break it up for you guys. And then I will propose in verses like 22 through 25, he's saying, this is, this is what happened in the past, verses 18 through 21, 22 through 25. Here's... Here's where we're going. Here's, here's my mindset going forward. And he's saying, elders, this is how you lead the flock. Let's look at what he says to these men. Verse 18. You ready, guys? I'm sorry, we're starting verse 17. Now, in Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. He grabs these guys, says this is important words. Verse 18. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. The whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how did I live among you? Verse 19. First, serving the Lord with all humility. All humility. He wants the church to thrive, right? He wants us to have our aim. He wants us to have aim in life, a focus in life, a purpose. He wants to encourage the local community. And what he does, the first thing he says, he says, hey, I want you to understand something. Like, I serve the Lord with all humility. And when you talk about all humility, there's two kind of word pictures that you get when you're talking about humility, family. First, when you talk about humility from a biblical perspective, when you read the scriptures and you talk about humility, I know we talk about the sense of yieldedness, and we talk about that in a moment, but it's usually yieldedness toward God. When he says all humility here, and that's why he says serving the Lord, serving the Lord with all humility. His point is, I serve the Lord in a way where he had total authority over my life, where it, it only mattered what he thought, where I was subservient to what his desires are, to his bidding. That I lived a life where Christ was all, and I thought, man, what do you want me to do, Lord? And whatever God said goes. So he says this to these elders. Why do you think he says this to the elders? 
Obviously, I want to propose to you because he's telling them. Just as I live like this, this is how you are to live. You want to be a thriving church, Macav? You want to be a thriving people in the Lord? You want to be a thriving leader? Let's not mix it. Don't, don't, don't mess this up. Don't think this is just for some elders somewhere. Right? This is circulated to the church. He's talking to the elders, but you don't think that's inspiring the elders. But also, when people are reading this, they're realizing, I'm the people of God too, the royal priesthood. He's telling the church of God, you want to thrive as a church? Be humble people. You know what will kill any church, and specifically what has almost killed this church? Pride. With all humility. What God says, a posture of yieldedness in the king's hand. Is that you? Is that you guys? The second piece, though, is the issue of lowliness. Right? Lowliness. Now, lowliness, I love lowliness because it's a, lowliness is a sense of recognizing how God has treated you first. And because you see how God has treated you, you now, you don't, you, you walk around with a sense, and don't miss this, with a sense of indebtedness, right? There, there's, there's something actually healthy about the indebtedness that you should have because of Jesus' sacrifice for you, right? And that's what I love in the scriptures where, you know, the guy says, oh, I did all these things. And he says, well, well you, you only did your job, <laughs> Right? Like for us to walk with the Lord and pursue God and to be holy, it's just the right thing to do, you know, when, when you understand who God is and what he's done. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Right? But notice this though. It means, loneliness means an indebtedness. But when you realize what God has done in your life and you have an indebtedness, now you don't walk around like people owe you. Now don't miss that. Because I think we can kind of play the, we could play the spiritual game like, yeah, I'm indebted to God, praise the Lord. But God really says all throughout that you really know a person's understanding of their indebtedness and their understanding of what God has done in them and how they don't now have rights, they yield their rights, they don't claim their rights by how they treat people. How you come across a people. Do you walk around and act like people owe you? Right? Well, why, 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 man, you know, why, where my community, again, I, I talked about it earlier up here with, uh, with Garrett. I mean, we were reading, my beautiful wife was reading a blog and talking about how it's amazing how we are the people of God. You know, one sentence will say, man, well, you know, no one, there was no community in this church. No one came to my house. No one called me. Then in the next paragraph, man, they're all in my business and I'm tired of people. The church is so nosy. Right? And we have, and each one of we have this wish list of how this person should treat me because of what I did and how this person should be like this because if you said you're really a Christian, you're supposed to treat me like this and do this. And where, you know, I got to be, where, where are you going to help me do this? And when am I going to get this? And ah, 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 ah. And you know what you're really saying? Somebody owes you. They're like somebody's supposed to come over and cook you a meal or something. Somebody's supposed to come over and fellowship with you. Right? Why nobody love me? As if people are supposed to love you. We don't like to hear that. But the reality is you without Christ are bankrupt and jacked up and, and no one should want to even deal with you. And it's only by God's grace. And so when we go into scenarios, man, why didn't you do this for me? And where were you when I needed this? And, and, and why are people doing this for me? And man, I needed this thing and nobody was around. You missed it. You miss your bankruptcy. Do you see how that can affect the kingdom? 
when you're always concerned about what you did or did not get versus who you are serving. All humility, you don't see Paul. He talks about it a lot in Corinthians. He says, man, I got all kinds of rights I could have claimed. I'm, the, I'm a big-time apostle. I'm educated. I got all these things, but I don't claim those rights. That's, that's his song. All throughout his epistles, is it not his song? That I have rights, and I chose not to claim the rights for the greater glory of Jesus. That's, that's how I become a thriving person, and that's how we become a thriving church. If everyone in this room stopped worried about what they should get and worried about who they could serve, it'll be a different church. Everybody, I will, why didn't you do this for me? Why didn't you do that for me? What you doing for people? I just pray for God to just release us from the spirit of selfishness. It kills the church. He says all humility. And that shows first you realize who God is in your life. You say, Lord, I am yours. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. I don't care what you say because you are good. And then secondly, that's going to reveal itself by my indebtedness to him, which reveals itself on how I care for other people. Paul said, I wanted to model this to you. All humility. Philippians 2, famous verses. That's what he talks about. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain, you know, conceit. He says, but consider others as more important than yourself. That's what the scriptures say, right? Consider others as more important than yourself. And then he, what does he do? He says, that's just not a poem. He says, and guess what? That's what Christ did. Look at Christ Jesus, who did not, he did not count equality a thing to be grasped, the scripture says. Why? He says, I didn't have to grasp that equality with God. Why? Because I possessed it. I'm God. I ain't got to try to be God. I'm God. But because of that, what I did was I was willing to, to take all that, to, to take my rights. Oh, I love that, right? Who has the right to have rights? And Jesus says, I took my right of king of glory and set it aside to win a victory and to model to you what to do. So, man, I pray for that. I pray for us to just... Uh, to th- want to be a thriving church. And we're going to thrive as a church when we thrive as individuals and we are people who are humble before Christ. Look what he does here. He continues on. So humility. You want to be a thriving church? Humility. He says, and with tears and with trials. You see that, guys? That happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Look what he does here. He says, and this is interesting to me. He says, he could be just an emotional dude, right? Right, And just being emotional, I cry a lot. And y'all know I cry. But I, I don't think that's what he's, I don't think this is what this is about. And I don't even think my tears are about that. I propose to you from, from the testimony that he's talking about, man, I have, tr-, he says, and with tears and with trials, look at this, that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. What are you saying? Man, it's rough out here. He said, man, cat's trying to kill me. I try and disciple somebody, and then they, they talk about my mama. You know, people stealing the money. It's been crazy. He's saying it's been a crazy life. And, man, I am so intensely committed and, and, and desiring to do life with people that, man, when they hurt me, it hurts. And he says, so I got tears because of these trials. Because I'm not just, I'm not just a, a pastor and it's not just my job. But he's like, man, I poured my life into these people. And so when they do stuff, it breaks my heart. He says, there's frustrations and my heart-rending loss and, and discouragement. He says, man, I'm involved in people's lives and it breaks my heart. 
there seems to be, he, there's something about being vested. We want to be a thriving church family. I'm just saying, you in here right now, I'm asking for no one in here. I'm asking for everybody, don't sit on the sidelines. You, you see, it, it's easy to, what we want to do, we don't want to get hurt. We, we kind of hedge our bets as people, and we kind of like do, do a little something so we don't look silly, but we don't dive right in, right? We don't give our hearts and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be known. I'm gonna, what, what is it like for me to plug into this community? I'm going to plug in. What God wants me to plug out, I'm going to plug out. But while I'm here, I'm going to be all here. I'm going to be vested in this community so that when, it, when you hurt, I hurt. I know your story. I know your journey. I give time for you. It seems that's what he's talking about here. There's a passion that now when something happens in this community, it, it hits you. I fear that some of us, we can go to church and miss three weeks and it means absolutely nothing to us because you're not connected at all. And I'm not just talking about coming to church. I'm talking about connected. Being in people's lives, taking an intentionality and saying, looking at your day with your wife or if you're single, looking at your day and saying, where am I saying I'm going to plug in? I'm going to be doing life. I'm going to take time to get to know and to be known in this community. Because I want to do my part for this church to thrive. So that Christ could be exalted. Guys, hear my heart there. I, 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 the Lord has had me pause. I don't want to be, I'm not upset. I just want us to feel the passion of Paul as he's talking to these men and he's wanting something to hit their hearts to go, man, yes, I remember those tears. I remember those tears, Paul. You cried for me. I remember that time you got mad at me. You cried for me, man. I've seen, I seen your journey. I long for that. If you right now have been coming, being blessed, and right now you have an opportunity to be in discipleship relationship, I'm going to ask you to get in discipleship. discipleship. Let people, why? Not only do you need to be trained, but you need to be helping train people here. People need you in Matt Group to have your insight, and you need people's insight in your Matt Group. Why? Why you sit in the sidelines? Why not give up yourself? Well, there's a lot of reasons. We've been hurt. We got stuff going on in our life where we don't know where we're going to be, where we are. There's a lot of reasons. I hear, I know, guys. There's a lot of pain. I'm just asking you not to allow the pain and past broken relationships, which I have many. Don't let them hinder what God has made clear. He wants you in community. He wants you thriving. He wants the church to thrive. Look what he says um, in tears. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, uh, it says, in 31, he says, I protest. You know, what was, what was going on in the journey? We've read it a lot. Like he said in 1 Corinthians 15, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day, he says. I bring this up because I want to show you how, you know, you see God doing something in Acts, and you'll see it revealing itself in, 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 in the other epistles. He says, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised. And he talks about God being, being our, our Lord and Savior raised from the dead. Here's why I bring that up. He talks about fighting beasts in Ephesus. Now, if you're just reading that without reading Acts, what do you think he's talking about? You think he's talking about he grabbed some lion or something, right? Rolling around in some zoo, you know, beating up a lion. Right? That's, right? And then we're going to think a beast. But as you read Acts... And now you have exposition in your soul and you've been in, devouring the scriptures. What is he talking about? He, he calls the people wolves. You've seen the people chasing them. He's talking about people. 
He's saying that, man, when you get evil people who don't want to hear God's truth and they start coming up against you, they like what? They like beasts. I'm proposing he ain't talking about wrestling some bear. I know we like Legends of the Fall and stuff, but that's not what's going on here. That dates me because I'm old, but you see, he's not just stating these things, guys. He's telling us how to serve. Look what he says here. He continues on. You want to be a thriving church? Man, be a church that's vested. Be, be a people of God who's vested. How do he says, how do I shrink? How, uh, he says, how I, I did not shrink back. He's talking, verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So he says, and with tears and trials uh, that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house. Right now, why, why would he want to shrink back if what he's doing is profitable for the people? Right, don't you make any sense, right? If I'm going to profit you, you won't profit, right? So why would I shrink back if I'm going to profit you and you're going to get something good from this? Two reasons. First, in the context, because that means that people were seeing what he was teaching, right? And were saying, I don't like what you're teaching. And they were going after him. So that, so now you need courage because now you need to preach the truth. Even though the people around you are going, don't say that because it's changing lives. It's hindering business. What are you doing? But guess what else? We as people many times don't like what's good for us. Let me say that again. Many times you and me don't like what's good for us. And so he's not just talking about those who are against him. Clearly, he's also talking about the courage he needed to preach the truth to the saints. See, here's the thing I've realized in pastoring. People love hearing things that make their ears itch. They love hearing the cool stuff. Fun stories, a lot of analogies, make you feel good stuff. You know, it takes, it takes uh, God's grace for you to keep hearing truth week in and week out. Right? And I'm praying to be a body. And I think our body, to be honest, I think what's just cool, loves God's truth. Praise the Lord. But he's saying, hey, it takes, you know, people, it's, it's easier to teach, you know, little fluffy stuff versus the reality of holiness. And so he's saying, you know, I had to have courage to teach God's counsel. All right? That's what he's saying here. And it's easy to teach people what they want to hear. And he uses the term here, and I'm going to keep flowing. He, just, he, he, he uses the term here, declaring and teaching, which is trying to show you that there is a difference. There's a declaring piece where you just, you're, pre- you're presenting the reality of an event. Like it's kind of like, you know, you declare that the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Ha ha. You know, you declare that, right? But, but, you, but you, you, don't, you don't teach that. You, t- you, you teach facts. You declare. So you declare the gospel. Right, the good news of Christ. Declaring means you're presenting the reality. So he's saying, I present the reality of Jesus being king in your life, right? But also teach where I take God's truth and I help you understand it. Look what he says in uh, Jeremiah. And this, and this is also in Jeremiah chapter 8 too. In Jeremiah 6, I think it's a very powerful passage. Read the context because he's talking about prophets and priests. And look what he says. They have healed the wound of my people lightly. He's talking about priests and prophets who got caught up, just to show you that this is real, who got caught up in being more worried about how you feel about me 
and other prophets and teachers versus what's good for you. Okay? And look what he said. This is what they were. This is what they did. They healed the wound of my people lightly. Right? And it says, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Right? What is he saying? You know what? People didn't need to hear peace, peace, because there was no peace. They needed to hear that you need to repent. You're a sinner, you're evil, and you're going against an awesome God, and they need to hear that. But you know what? That ain't popular. And that doesn't get you many dinner invites. So they would say, hey, everything all right? Peace, peace. And so my prayer is that you give me the space, and you give Pastor Leanne and our elders the space to not do that. Okay? But the reality is, by God's grace, hopefully we won't do that ever. He's telling them, be courageous. Be courageous and preach and teach, just like he has. And he goes on in verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that. Now, that's interesting. So he's so just one of the last few things he gets to say to these guys. And look what he says. He says, I want to encourage you this issue of impartiality. See how important reconciliation is? One of his last statements um, as he's talking about the goodness of Jesus and what he wants them to do. And he's talking about the impartiality piece. I preach both to Jews and to, to non-Jews. And his point there, I want you to do the same. I don't want you to be racist. I want you to do something that's very different than the culture. I want you to stand for celebrating all of God's image bearers, no matter the creed or what they look like. Now, here's the thing. So, and it's a struggle. It's a struggle right here. You know why? Because... Satan does not want, because unity is one of the main ways that God communicates his divine character. It's one of the main ways in scripture. And that's why Paul fights for, fights for it so much. One of the main ways you can see God's character is when you see a people of God who are different in all kinds of ways. And they're coming together on purpose and they're learning how to do community in unity and diversity. So if that's one of the main ways that God is exalted, why do you not think that Satan's going to do everything he can to make sure that we stay divided? This is the thing that I don't get because we get people, and I get the question. I ask it all the time as your pastor. We'll get people and go, man, y'all in the city, all y'all live here. Why so many white people in your community? Why so many white people in your church? Right? Where are all the black folks? And to me, I just want to graciously say it's an it's a appropriate question, but I don't think it's theologically infused. Because if you really pause and understand that this is really hard, and you know why I know it's hard? Because we ain't seen it done yet. And it's been 2,000 years. And you know why I propose it hasn't been done yet? Because we tried for three months, we tried for two years, we tried for four years, and we say, bump it. I forget about it. I don't want to do it. Let me just grab all the black folks. I don't want to do this anymore. Let me grab all the white folks. And then we go, and then we're in here, and we're going, well, when are we going to do it? When is it going to happen? As if it's something we could birth. Can we put it out here right now, family? This is a supernatural thing that you and I are trusting the Lord for. This is not about pamphlets and flyers. And if you have this many more people, then this many more people come. That's all a lie from the pit of hell. 
That's not what happens. It's when God desires for broken people like you and me to cry out before God and realize we can't do this, but God can do something supernatural through you and me, and we can see God bring white folks, black folks, Asians, every person in here, and then when he does that, he gets all the glory. That's a supernatural thing that if that's really your passion, you will not be just trying to figure out more strategies. You will be praying for it. You will be fasting for it. You'll be doing your part to be that sacrificial lamb to say, I want to see that happen. You wouldn't sit in here and just wait for it. When are you going to bring more people? It ain't happening this week. Come in next week. Where are the black folks? It ain't happening this week. White folks sitting here thinking that there's some circus. Hey, when are you going to have me more black people? You missed it. This is God's thing and he's trying to use you and me and we are waiting for the other person to do it. My prayer is for us to reject that madness, reject those lies and say, what is my responsibility? What does God want me to do? See, the, see my African-American brothers in here and the sisters in here, what does it look like for you to be a sacrificial lamb and realize that this is uncommon? And instead of running, it's like everybody else wants to do in the flesh to stand and fight and say, this church is preaching the gospel. I want the brothers and sisters to come to this church so that God can be exalted. It's up to you. And white folks, quit having an excuse. Quit coming here waiting for something and be about this beautiful divine character that God has already prescribed in the scriptures where he said, I died on the cross. So people can see black folks and white folks and Jews and Gentiles come together and love Jesus Christ together. When will we build a conviction in our soul where we're not apologetic, but we're waiting for God's spirit to move? And if someone asks you that question, you don't put your head down as if it's up to you as a human to make it happen. But you look them in the eyes and you say, pray for us. We're asking for God to do something that we can't do. When will you do that, church? He says, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, guess what? So that part, he says, the, the gospel is without impartiality. I preach the gospel to everybody. What is it? That people will see their sin and repent and say, wow, God is king. I am not. I got to turn. I want to turn toward God and away from my sin and from my flesh. And then they say, by faith, Lord, would you Will you be my all in all? And then God says, as he's getting that working, getting that all in you by the Holy Spirit, he, he births you anew and you, you become a Christian because you've, you've trusted your Savior for repentance. You trusted your Savior for faith. You trusted your Savior for forgiveness. The journey of reconciliation at Matt, guys, is something that I'm willing to fight for I really need you to help me fight for it. He switches from the focus to the future in verse 22. Look what he says. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Look what he does. I love this. This whole constrained piece of the spirit. I can't speak enough about the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm praying that we'll be a church where we recognize that the Holy Spirit is a person. 
who lives in you, whom God has given you to empower you to be able to accomplish these amazing, impossible tasks. When you think of constraint, it's the, kind of, the sense is basically this. He's saying, man, I feel prompted. I feel a strong conviction by the Spirit. Is he talking? Is Paul's Spirit or God's Spirit? I think, I think it's God's Spirit prompting Paul. But even either one, the, the end is the same. Is that he feels this prompting that, man, I, I, I got to be doing this. I got to go. I got to keep moving forward to Jerusalem. I got to accomplish God's purposes in my life. I can't help but to be fully on board with what God is doing in his world. You know what that tells me, guys? You cannot do that in the flesh. We're telling you all oh, moving the community, neighbor in the community. This is our community, right? We, this, is, this is my community. I've been here eight years. I've been here longer than a lot of cats in our community, right? This is my community. And I'm telling you, you we can't fight a fight of faith consistently in the flesh. I don't think Paul could have done what he did, traveled, and then went to a place where he knew. You know what the scripture says there? He, he says, look at, look what it says there. He says, constrained by the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. And let me read 23 for you, except, so I don't know much, but here's what I do know. Isn't this exciting? Look what he knew. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. What do you know, Paul? I don't know much, but the Holy Spirit told me I'm going to get beat down wherever I go. Wherever I go. They're going to get me. I'm going to get in prison, afflictions. I don't even know what that means. The Holy Spirit is creative. So, man, the Holy Spirit just told me you're going to get beat down. But the Holy Spirit is God. What does that mean, God? You're creative. That could be all kind of craziness. And he says, he says, but, verse 24, but I did not count my life of any value. You see that, guys? See, I love this. I love that he's content with not knowing but also what he did know was totally against his comfort. What's your aim in life? How do you read that and then have your aim be these worldly things? What's our aim in life? Why does he tell them to do this? Why does he tell them this stuff? Paul said, it doesn't matter. Paul said, you know what? Faithfulness is better than life. It's, it's more important. Walking with Christ is better. He's convinced of this. Are you convinced of this? This is humbling to me. He's convinced that he would rather die than not just give it all to Jesus and say, no, my whole life, whatever you want me to be about, I'm going to go neighbor. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to give up myself and my resources because that's better than me just living a life of comfort. This is Paul. All right, let's take a time. I had a few more things. I'm going to stop there. So we're going to continue next week. I just ask, what is your aim in life? When you look at this, when you look at these verses, what is it like to thrive as a Christian leader? What is it like to be a thriving church? It seems clear. Verse 19, humility, right? He wants us to be humble people. Verse 19, be vested people, right? Be committed. Reveal our emotions. Be, be in the game. So he wants us to be humble, invested, verse 19, verse 20. He wants us to encourage, to have the courage to proclaim the truth, to have the courage to proclaim and teach the truth as the people of God, to go around and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. He wants us to be impartial, verse 21, impartial to the good news. You want to be impartial towards something? Be impartial, be biased about the gospel. 
He wants us to be spirit-dependent and spirit-led. Verse 22. Led by the spirit. Yielding. Well, how am I I led by the spirit, Eric? By faith. I want to ask you to be praying. Ask God. You wake up in the morning. I want you to do this. Wake up in the morning. kneel Kneel on the side of your bed and say, Lord Jesus. Ask the Holy Holy Spirit, give me the grace to reveal to me if there's any wrong in my life, any sin in my life. Spend time, just pause. Let the Holy Spirit just reveal things to you. As you reveal things, confess those things to the Lord. Confess, I agree with you, Lord. I was wrong there. My heart was decrepit there. Lord, I don't have the strength. Lord, I repent of those sins. I ask the Lord to give you the grace to repent. Say, Lord, I I repent by by your grace. I repent of those sins. And then I want you to do something. I want you to say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Allow me to walk in your ways. Allow me to be your man and your woman. Lord, I pray, would you, would you just make me more like you? Make me more like you and don't miss this, no matter what you need to do. Will you pray that? Will you pray, Lord, make today, make me more like you no matter what you need to do. So let me say it again. I want you, I want you to go every morning and kneel and, and confess sin and enjoy Christ. And then ask God to fill you with the Spirit and repent of your sin and and say, Holy Spirit, empower me supernaturally. Let me experience the wonders of God today. I'm convinced God will do it. He'll put you in scenarios where you'll need the Holy Spirit's power. He will even show you evidence of the Spirit doing something supernatural. The the same sin you walked into yesterday, you'll see God give you the grace to say, I don't want to, I'm not going to choose that. And I want to ask you, I want to ask you to ask the Lord, no matter what you need to do, Lord, do a redemptive work in my life. Here's, that's a scary prayer. You know why? Because you know God to do it. You know God to do it. You know you say, God, do whatever you need to do. You know he'll take friends out of your life. He'll take idols out of your life. I mean, your life will get jacked up. You know why? Because we got all these little things we hide. And we really say, Lord, do your work. He's like, okay. Okay. And then you'll be thinking, man, I asked for two weeks of the Lord to do his work in my life. It's been, it's been the worst two weeks of my life. You know why? Because God is trying to build your faith. He's trying to be faithful to your request. You ask him to do it. I need to strip you of this stuff. I pray you do that. And then finally, verse 23 and 24, I didn't get in too much. But then God, uh, verse 23 and 24, he's... You see Paul being content because he sees a greater reward. At the end of the day, he sees a greater reward. We're all, you know, John Piper has a point with the whole Christian hedonism thing. At the end of the day, man, we all want return on investment. And that's why you in the scriptures, you know, talks about, hey, you be faithful. There's there's rewards in the kingdom. Because God ain't stupid. He created us. Right? And so I want to propose to you. Paul got it. Paul got like, wait a minute. Okay. It's probably better for me. This is a better reward. Like serving Christ and giving my life for him. That's better than this stuff. See, it's only when we have that abandoned, when we get that, where we will be what I call a dangerous Christian. Where Satan's like, oh man, he, oh, she knows. Oh man, no, she gets it now. She gets that. I'm getting, giving her fake pearls. Oh my goodness. Oh she gets it. She gets, he's a greater reward. Man, another one didn't fall for it. That's my prayer for our church. That the demons and Satan would be just mad. They're looking around and they see all these people saying, I'm casting down those, that, those fake pearls. I'm, no, God's a greater reward. And I show that moment by moment in my life when I respond to God based on who he is and what he does when I worship him.
Be encouraged, church. I'm convinced that these elders were encouraged. Be, be inspired by the model of Paul. Here's what I want to do. Um, we're going to take tithe and offering. I want you to worship God during this time. We've-